From the Los Angeles Times, this is Coronavirus in California, stories from the front lines. I'm Gustavo Ariano. It's Tuesday, May 12th. Today, California's emergency rooms have largely avoided the war zone scenes caused by coronavirus in places like Italy and New York. But ERs across Southern California have nevertheless faced challenges, from keeping up with the evolving evidence on how to treat COVID-19, to dealing with a shortage in protective gear, to planning for a possible second wave of the virus still to come. Today, we'll speak with two ER workers about what they're expecting in the coming months. First, Zahir Busrai is an emergency medicine doctor in Los Angeles who sits on the board of directors for the California chapter of the American College of Emergency Physicians. Blue Shield of California would like to take this moment to thank the mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, daughters, sons, friends, and heroes on the front line. This fight is tough, but so are you. And we're grateful for your courage and your dedication to keeping us all safe and healthy. Thank you. So, Dr. Busrai, how are you doing? I'm doing okay, Gustavo. Thanks for asking. Are you tired? Are you overwhelmed? I mean, I, it's it's interesting to talk to an emergency doctor because your lives are all about just being on, onward, on, on, it never ends. And then you have something like a pandemic like coronavirus. Yeah, things have really changed with coronavirus. But so far, things are quite stable. A big part of this has to do with the fact that we're not seeing the things that we usually see. People are staying at home, which is good, which means they're not getting into car accidents. People who are having life-threatening emergencies like heart attacks or strokes are actually waiting longer to come into the emergency department because there's a concern about coming to the ED. And finally, because there's been such strong messaging about social distancing and staying locked down, we have actually been able to flatten the curve, and that's given us the opportunity to be able to handle the surge of patients that we're seeing with coronavirus. So how did you folks plan, yourself and your fellow emergency physicians, how did you plan for this? Especially during the time when uh, we were hearing that we were going to get the same doom the way New York and Italy did. That's the thing is we had an opportunity to kind of learn from the experience of Italy and New York. And that gave us the opportunity and the head start to build a bunch of systems to be able to handle this surge. So hospitals and ERs around California have been building screening tents where they have all their patients who are concerned with having COVID where they go and initially get screened and tested. But a lot of it is really on the fly. So a lot of the evidence-based medicine that's coming out is constantly changing. And it's been really difficult for us to be able to figure out what are some of the best practices because Like I said, the CDC and LA Department of Public Health, as well as all the literature and evidence-based medicine that's coming out um, in our medical journals is constantly evolving. So there's still a process that we are going through right now where we're really just trying to figure out what is the best way and what are some of the nuanced ways that we can treat COVID-19 most effectively. When someone does come in with COVID-19, how are they at that point? Because obviously some people are asymptomatic. Some people are able to uh, just tough it out at home by just isolating, sheltering in place. But I'm sure by the time they come to you, they're in pretty bad shape. So that's the interesting thing, Gustavo. It's exactly what you said, which is patients are actually presenting at different stages in the virus history. Some patients we're seeing are 
asymptomatic and just want to be tested. Other patients are in the more milder stages of the infection. And we are seeing patients who are coming in in respiratory distress or are really sick. And as a result, those are the patients that we prioritize and focus on treating right away. And what are you seeing in those patients? A lot of patients are coming in with just difficulty breathing. So, Dr. Busra, I obviously you speak to your fellow emergency physicians in California. Are you hearing different stories from different parts of the country? Yeah, I think that right now what everyone is waiting for is the surge to hit their community. So a lot of what we're hearing are different hotspots that are developing and surges. It's a lot of anticipation and waiting for the wave of COVID patients to come to a physician's community. And so obviously next would be any second wave or even third waves that might come. Yeah, so that's the part that we're most worried about. We've learned a lot from the 1918 influenza. What we saw is that the second wave was actually bigger than the first wave. So as states begin to reopen, we anticipate that we're going to begin seeing more patients with the infection. And also once we hit the fall and winter seasons, that's when the influenza season starts, the flu season. It will be very hard for us to distinguish between flu and coronavirus. And as a result, we expect that we'll begin seeing a lot more patients. And so just like in chess, we have to make sure we plan several steps ahead and do whatever we can to encourage social distancing and safe practices. Yeah, this is more like 3D chess, though. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are just so many, uh, you know, none, no one in the past 100 years in the United States, in the, and any of us have dealt with a pandemic of this magnitude. It, and like you said, it's like part of it is planning, but then you come across something and right there and then you have to just throw everything away that you thought you knew and then just try to handle the issue right in front of you. Yeah, you know, Gustavo, it's so interesting. As an emergency medicine physician, we are trained to handle everything. We're trained to handle the acute situation. We're taught to think on our feet and to be able to react quickly. And this is a completely different beast. It's not an acute setting. This is something that has started and is going to continue on for quite a while. And learning to be agile in this type of environment is so different than, let's say we have a mass casualty incident where 10 people get dropped off in the emergency department. This is something that I never really expected to see in my career. And now that it's here, it's been an eye-opening experience. Yeah, you, you have your shift, but you also have to and you, and you know, live your own life. So once you're done with the shift, how do you adjust to getting home? And I'm not just talking about obviously decontaminating yourself, but how do you turn it off? It's very difficult. And that's the thing about this whole experience is it has been 24-7 for most emergency medicine physicians. When we are done with the hospital, we come home, and the first thing that is on most of our minds is ensuring that we don't contaminate our home environment and our loved ones. We have an area right by the door of our apartment where I take off my clothes and jump immediately in the shower before even hugging my wife. And so it's taken a huge toll on all of our family lives as well and our personal lives. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I cannot even imagine. And even, especially with emergency room physicians, you folks are on all the time, like 24-7. Now you have to be on 26-7 with something that none of us have, again, haven't faced something like this in a century in the United States. Finally, what, what do you want the public to know about what you and specifically your fellow ER doctors are experiencing and seeing right now? I just want everyone to know that we're doing our best to make sure that we can treat everyone who comes in. Until you begin hearing things by the CDC and the LA Department of Public Health, we recommend social distancing, doing your best to continue hand hygiene, wearing masks, and just ensuring that you do your part to prevent the spread of this because we're all in this together. This LA Times podcast is presented by Blue Shield of California. The fight is tough, but so are you. Thank you, Frontline. This advertiser has no influence over editorial decisions or content. Rob Jones is an emergency room nurse at a Kaiser Permanent in San Diego who has been seeing patients with COVID-19 almost every day since the pandemic took hold. He's on the board of directors for the United Nurses Association of California and says even with all the information out there about coronavirus, it's easy for his patients to feel overwhelmed by the unknown. So, Rob, uh, what are you seeing in the patients that are going into your hospital with COVID-19? We see everything from people who are just coming in with uh, shortness of breath uh, due to anxiety from watching all the news and everything that's going on, just worried. We have some people coming in with just minor sore throat, cough, and then we have the major cases which are very short of breath. By the time they get there, they're already very short of breath and uh, not doing very well. So we get the whole gamut of patients coming in. And you've been seeing patients with COVID-19 almost every day since uh, mid-March, right? Yes. We do have patients coming in uh, with the uh, symptoms. Uh, we call those PUIs. They're patients under investigation until the tests come back positive. Previously, the tests were taken sometimes up to 14 days when we were first doing it. So we wouldn't know for sure for a couple of weeks. Now, we've got most of the tests we're doing within 24 hours, usually about 14, 16 hours. Uh, we do have a rapid test that we're very limited supply on that we are doing on some patients that are within an hour. Uh, what about the age range of the patients that you're seeing? Are they tend to be a little bit older, more younger people than you thought? Of course, we've got the 65 and up who are hit the hardest, but it is surprising how many 30, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds that are coming in with uh, symptoms and sometimes severe symptoms. Even the younger ones who are getting this, you know, some have no symptoms at all and say, oh, I'm young, I'm, I'm fine. Other people, even the young people, healthy people, are getting really sick. Uh, they might not have to be hospitalized, but they're sitting at home. I just talked to a couple to have said that they've been home for the last two weeks. Very severe illness. They were very scared. That's the trouble, you know, not only having the symptoms, 
just being scared and not knowing what's going to happen with your body and, you know, get through this or not. So. And how are the patients coming into? I mean, again, every patient's different, but are you seeing a little bit more resolved than, say, with some other diseases? Are you seeing more just fear because there's so much unknown even to this day about COVID-19? Definitely a lot of a lot of fear and anxiety over the unknown. You know, there's so much coverage, so much out there on this that people just don't know what to expect and what to believe. And another thing, of course, that you're seeing nationwide is all this appreciation by the public for nurses. How is that making nurses feel? We're overwhelmed with the community support. It's been fantastic. Uh, You know, I think nurses have always been appreciated, and we get that sense from the community. But right now, it's especially great to be able to say that you're a nurse, you're an RN. One uh, interesting gentleman uh, from San Diego area had a family member back east, and that family member was on a ventilator for like 10 days or something, I believe it was. And their phone got discharged or ran down. And so when he woke up and got off the ventilator, his phone was dead and couldn't call his family and talk to his family. So this person didn't want that to happen to anybody here. So they donated a bunch of chargers for all the different phone types to all the area hospitals. So things like this are going on all the time. Wow, yeah. Little things like that. No one would think of chargers, but... Do, do you folks have all the PPE that you need? Because I know that was a big concern early on and still is in some parts. You know, the PPE shortage is very real. It isn't like we're not getting supplies because we are. You know, it's a change in culture of what we normally do, like the N95 masks that were used for uh, the COVID patients are in a high, very short demand. And uh, we normally would just go into a patient's room. Uh, afterwards, we'd take off the gown, the mask, gloves, everything, just throw it away. And then the next time you go into a room or a different room, you get a new mask, new gown and everything. With the N95s, we're having to keep that all day. We issued one for the day of our shift and we go into a room uh, with that. And when we get out, we take it off. We do put a surgical mask over the top of that N95 so we can make it last all day and we change the uh, surgical mask with each patient. But the N95 has to last for 12 hours. That's not the way it's supposed to be used, but we are making it work, and it seems to be uh, working at this time. And they are trying to recycle those N95s by sending them down. Uh, You put your name on it, you send it down, and they get sterilized, brought back to you. So use the same mask uh, after being sterilized, and they can do that twice, they're saying. So... That is conserving the mask that way. How do you feel about these shortages? You know, I would love to have a mask each time and all the supplies we need, but it is just not possible right now. And I know that the shortage is real. It's not something that, you know, the hospitals just hide them. They do have to conserve because anytime you get a big surge like New York, other places have had, you go through that PPE really quick. So we've got to conserve for those times. So we can't use it all up right now, but there is a real shortage. And I believe that. So I I deal with what we've got to deal with. What are you concerned about as uh, we, as the country starts to slowly reopen? You know, my biggest concern is whether or not the healthcare systems can handle it. If we cautiously open things back up, we're going to get a spike in 
the spread of the COVID, I'm sure. It's going to have to happen. We're going to have to open up society, the economy, but we've got to do it in a slow, cautious way that it doesn't overwhelm the healthcare systems because people coming in, if they're able to be taken care of, you've got nurses, you've got ventilators to be able to put them on, that's the way it's supposed to work, and we're supposed to be able to help those patients get better. But when you're overwhelmed, you don't have enough ventilators, you don't have enough nurses to take care of the patients, that's when people start dying unnecessarily, and it's just not good because, you know, you should be able to take care of those patients. And as nurses, we want to be able to take care of every patient to the fullest they can be taken care of and not lose anybody just because we're stretched so thin that we don't have people to properly take care of them or the equipment to take care of them, that kind of stuff. So. And then finally, what have you learned as a result of being on the front lines of this thing? One of the biggest things is... You know, you've just got to be calm, go through your day, do what you can do. Might be a sad day sometimes, might be a great day sometimes, but at the end, uh, you know, you're going to get through it. That's it for today's episode of Coronavirus in California, Stories from the Front Lines. Thanks for listening. Do you have a story you want to share with us? Call our hotline at 213-986-5652 and leave us a message. That's 213-986-5652 or email me, gustavo.ariano at latimes.com. This podcast was hosted by me, Gustavo Ariano. Our producers are Paige Heimson and Stan Lee. Our senior producer is Rena Palta, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Keflin, and our original music was composed by Andrew Epic. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special gracias to Julia Turner, Shelby Grad, Hector Becerra, and Clint Schaff. For the latest coronavirus stories by my LA Times colleagues, including an up-to-the-minute tracker of cases across California, don't forget to visit our website. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the LA Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe, because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Stay safe and see you tomorrow.